Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glenelg Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, January 16th, 2022. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderbilt. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin. And I am Kelly Brady. Happy to be here. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Good morning. Welcome back, John. Thanks, man. How was Africa? It was phenomenal. Where'd you go? We went to Zambia. And you let your son jump off a bridge over the Zambezi River? Bungee jumped. You know, my rule of thumb is when you leave the country, you don't do anything stupid. (laughs) By leaving the country, you might. (laughs) Depends what (laughs) define as stupid. That was crazy. Man, we we had a great trip. We got to see and be a part of tons of phenomenal ministry got to pray with people and bless people mm. and got to preach in a church on sunday brayden got to speak got to so see a lot fun. of old friends from when we used to live there brayden was there last when he was how old yeah he was one wow what did they he, remember uh, what did he talk about what's that what did he talk about he just kind of he introduced himself and then he just shared uh, for a few minutes about his love for jesus and their love for jesus and how even though we're on opposite sides of the world we can share in community and faith and fellowship because of who Jesus is and what he's yeah. done in our lives. How long and was your family in Zambia? We were there about a year yeah. when, when it was just Carrie, Braden, and I. Mm. And um, so we went, yeah, we, it was, uh, we were on the ground in Zambia for seven days. So, and uh, lots of COVID testing to get there and back, which we passed with flying colors <laughs> and all of our flights, man, we had a layover. I know many of you were praying. We had a layover in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, that was 50 minutes long oh, to get word. from one international flight to another international Whoa. flight. So you didn't pick me up any coffee then. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Dude, we, we, it was, it was awesome. Mm. Our bags made it. We made it on That's the plane. Awesome. Yeah. And it's great. The U.S. government right now is saying you shouldn't be in Ethiopia because of the civil war that's there. Mm-hmm. And so we were a little nervous. Yeah. If we didn't make our connection, it, the flight only goes every other day. Oh, my gosh. To Zambia. So we would have had a day oh my and, and a half. And you have to leave the airport after a certain amount of time. And Ooh. so anyway, we were, we were just nervous, you know, kind of tense. And uh, we made it. It was great. We made it home uh, safe. And, man, God was really good. It was powerful ministry time, powerful connection time for the two of us and so fun safe travel within the country and yeah got to have fun at victoria falls which the, is the kind of the, were amazing the uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world so very cool yeah thanks for all your support and prayers everybody yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah how's everybody's football weekend go <laughs> yeah, playoffs <laughs> playoff weekend it was right. kind of boring to be yeah. honest Lots yeah, of blowouts. A lot of blowouts yeah mm-hmm. a lot of teams that mm-hmm really didn't deserve to be there getting their butts kicked right due to the expansion of the playoffs <laughs> did big ben announce he's done it's kind of a thing it's okay. kind of i didn't know he, he didn't gave officially a press announce okay. it but yeah, yeah that's pretty yeah that was his going his retirement party which okay, i was happy to on? attend <laughs> <Can we move laughs> on? We got, we have, yeah, we got a lot we of questions. We have a billion questions. <clears throat> yeah, and I should say at the outset, we received so many questions. Thank you very much, listeners. We received so many questions that we have enfolded some of the questions. You may not recognize your question exactly, um, and we, we're pairing some of the questions. So uh, if, if you don't get the answers, you, you're, uh, if you don't feel like your question was addressed, don't hesitate to swing back around and text in again, and we'll keep at it. All right, let's get into some questions. First up, first up, why do you need a position paper on race when the gospel is antithetical to racism? Man, I'm so glad somebody asked this question. This is really good. We need a position paper on race because the gospel is antithetical to racism, which is a serious problem in our world. Remember, American slave owners used the scripture to promote racism. They used Ephesians 6. Verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters um, in order to promote racism. So there are some issues, is my point, in every culture that are unique issues, and we need to work hard to, to address those issues with Scripture, particularly when there's a history of the Scripture being um, misused, as there is in America. After uh, second service, uh, someone came up to me, Jerry, Jeremy Boynton's his name. He's a, uh, an elder, a former elder here at Glowham Bible Church. And he had a story that you know, would really curl your hair, frankly. Uh, the year is 1994. 
He's in college, serving part-time as a youth pastor, and he's really working hard to reach the local community, the kids. And so weekly, he would throw a big party, brats and hot dogs, invite everybody in the community. He would work the local high school, getting kids out. After having some success at that and filling the church with youth, the senior pastor pulled him aside. This is his boss, the senior pastor of the church, thanked him for his work and passion, but asked him to stop bringing, quote, the black kids into the sanctuary. He didn't want them in the worship space. Why? Because he said that the color black on skin is the mark of Cain. It was Cain who killed Abel. And it's the curse of God, the indication that these people are under the curse of God and that they have no business being in the sanctuary. This is 1994. And so, again, a position paper is needed. Uh, yeah, I know that the gospel's antithetical to racism, but not everybody knows that. And our country has a, a historic issue with racism. And so... We need to, it's a, it's a cultural moment. It's a real opportunity to actually minister the gospel that God so loved the whole world. Yeah, yeah I've been thinking through this um, and it, it is one of the things that opponents of the Bible try to lob at Christians a lot. Well, you know, the Bible, you know, supports slavery. Mm -hmm. I've seen the verses, Old Testament, New Testament. No. There's a culture of slavery in the Bible. Like, right. I think that's a good reason why we need a position paper. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> we, we need to do our uh, exegetical work to answer those uh, misunderstandings. And you sent it out this morning. Yeah, yeah, we, we posted it. Or? John sent out um, the, the web page, so check your inbox if you haven't yet. And uh, the paper is there, as, as well as the books we'd recommend. And I should say on these books, we're already getting some pushback on the books. Uh, there's no perfect book other than scripture. There's no perfect book out there written by human authors on this topic. So I get it. Some of you guys aren't going to like the books that we put up on the website. and You're going to take umbrage with them for one reason or another. I get it. There's just no perfect book. So hopefully, and I know that we are, we're all bright enough and discerning enough to work through books taking what is good in the book and setting aside what is unhelpful in the book. I'll be honest with you, I'll, I'll, I'll lob one up. The Color of Compromise, one of the best books I have read on the historic, uh, active, and passive racism in the, in the American church, The Color of Compromise by Jeremy Tisby. Well, The Color of Compromise, Tisby, in my estimation, gets off track at one point and just begins to waylay the Republican Party, very anti-Trump, in the book. I don't think that helps his case. Um, I have my own issues with Trump. I just think that the book was moving along really well, and then he gets distracted in his anti-Trump vitriol. So the content of the book, I, I hope and I know that we are discerning enough readers to find the truth, and that's what we're praying, frankly. Lord, help us find the truth. Be the Bridge, the book that I featured yesterday as one of the two that the elders read together. Somebody's already emailed me and said, did you know X, did you know Y? And yes, I know X and Y. I know that Latasha Morrison is not perfect, but man, she offers some really good assessment and personal experience um, as a black person in the majority church. Correct. And, you know, a lot of people, I have had, had a few people send, you know, did you know this book here? Read this review or, or something to, to, right. that, to that effect. And we need to remember that when uh, somebody who reviews a book, if they only give a glowing review of the book, then they're not a, a fair yeah. reviewer. It's impossible to give a perfect review. Yeah, right. yeah, I mean, you, there's some critique. There has to be every book review should contain good and bad <laughs> right. of the book. This is its strengths. This is its weaknesses. And as discerning people, we need to say, do the strengths outweigh the weaknesses, right? I mean, there's a lot of books we read as pastors to understand the culture, to understand history, to understand philosophy mm -hmm. that are written by people we do not 100% agree with, sure. but they challenge us. Stretch us, they stretch us, us. And they ready us to address cultural issues. Correct, and whether we apply them 
one, you know, directly to every situation is yeah. that's, that's not what we do. I mean, we discern what's helpful and, and what's not. So book reviews are great. Book reviews help us decide, you know, is there, is it overwhelmingly something wrong that we can't then take the good that's presented there and use it. But so anyway. Since you, since you brought up that you've gotten some criticism, since you brought up, there we go, that you've gotten some criticism. Feedback. How, feedback. <laughs> well, the book's got criticism. Sorry. Yeah, well. You yeah. got some, feedback. Some guy. We got positive. Like, sure. I love that sure. book. Thanks yeah. for sharing it. I yeah. can't wait to read again. Yeah. Oh, you know. The question that I don't have an answer to fully like processed out in my in my head that I'd be curious to hear what you'd say is why is anyone nervous about the church putting it, putting out a position paper what why would <laughs> someone pause on that like what why is that making people nervous or maybe it's not people maybe it's a person but the question asker yeah might be nervous. So, yeah um I do think some people in the elders worked really hard on the position paper because we don't want to unnecessarily alienate anybody. We, we understand that, that each person who attends Glowing Bible Church will have to decide for themselves uh, to what extent they affirm the position paper or uh, do not affirm it. You know, it, and so uh, we worked really hard to drive stakes in the ground and adopt a position that we feel personally convicted on and to put on paper what we think will help our flock. This isn't even a position paper that, I mean, it, it represents the, the leadership of Glowing Bible Church, what we believe needs to be said and, and next steps. Uh, so it's a shepherding effort, really. And, and there's a lot of declaration in it about who we believe God, uh, God to be, his heart. I, I don't know other than why somebody would be nervous about that, other than they might feel out of step with the flock that, or the church they call home. And, and maybe, um, and, I, and if they under... And, you know, when your elders say something, if, if you buy into spiritual authority, and, and I do certainly, I pay close attention to what the elders tell me to do and, um, and listen really closely uh, to those who are in authority. So I buy into spiritual authority. And if, and if you're a person at Glowing Bible Church, and particularly if you're a member, you know, not everybody that attends is a member, but if you're a member, then your shepherds have said, uh, that they believe this is important, and and I think that that, that could make some sheep nervous. Uh, maybe they're out of step, or I mean, don't you think that it's possible that people are nervous because other churches have used this idea to to push a more social agenda, to push a more um, you know like. Uh, defund the, I mean, we went from justice for XYZ to defund the police really quickly, and it made a lot of people very uncomfortable. So let's, be, let's, let's have clarity. Right. So, Glowing Bible Church has not said defund the police. No, no, you no, mean no, 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 no. The no, no. American dialogue. Right, yes. Broader American yes, dialogue. Right. And so, people, some people may interpret this, and some churches probably have used um, this idea as a step in what some would consider, you yes. know, a liberal yeah. policy direction. True. Right? Like, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think yes. that's, if you're asking what would the hesitancy be, you know, I, which I, at the end of the day, I would think, well, that's a, that's a trusting with your elders. Yeah, getting to know your issue, elders. Right? And I like, hope that that comes out in the next level discussion that Sunday evening as well as this podcast. Go ahead, Simone. I yeah. was just going to say that I think people also may, are hesitant for the pulpit to become political. Mm. And be, to your point, Matt, I think that this topic has been politicized the last few years because of so much that the media has covered. Um, let's, let, let's address that because I, you know, people want the pulpit to be political if it's affirming their particular political agenda. Let's all be honest. So uh, let's take the politics around abortion. So he, here's the, here's the, uh, the posture we strike at Glowing Bible Church. Theology has political implications. Biblical theology, orthodoxy, has political implications. So we need to be honest if if um, if we're only looking for a church that affirms our political agenda right I mean that's dangerous if we're aligning in fellowship 
uh, with people that only affirm our political agenda. So we need to align in fellowship primarily, firstly, with with uh, the community of faith that we believe is orthodox, uh, rightly handling the word of God. And then if we're out of step with some things that come from the pulpit um, politically or the political implications of those theological positions, then we need to enter a dialogue with the elders and the staff. And But there, I'll be honest with you, there is there's a whole scale um, geographic alignment in our nation. People are leaving Illinois because of the politics and they're moving to Nashville, let's be honest. (laughs) So there is the the largest in my lifetime that I've ever seen with a geographic realignment around politics. The same is happening in the church. I will, we haven't yet, but there will be pushback. People will be made nervous by some of the potential political implications, and they'll say, well, I, I'm just not up for that, and they'll move, they may go to another church. They may look for another church, a church that more closely aligns with their politics. And I just, it, it, what'll happen is, they'll, what could happen is they could land at another church that is theologically exactly like we are, exactly like we are, but just not addressing race. And so they're much more comfortable. I would think it would be advantageous to, uh, to let that uncomfortability do a good work in us. Enter a dialogue. To your point, why be afraid? We have nothing to fear from the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of truth. And so, and I'm not saying that I always speak exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying. That's not the case. Uh, I'll get it wrong sometimes. There's a question coming up where I'll admit I, I overstated. So, but if the spirit of the truth is a spirit of truth is leading us, then we can grow. We can be stretched. This is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> yes. Good. Question two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think. But I think we should circle back to your point. Your point of like talk to the elders, talk mm. to the yeah, folks inner who dialogue. inner dialogue. I think the worst thing, and this is one of the roots of the issues with racism in general, is we tell ourselves stories. We have dialogues with amongst ourselves and then we deem it as true and then we live our lives instead and of trying to get into the truth of the matter and ask questions. And we've talked about this a lot over the four years we've done this podcast on when we talk about issues like this is uh, to your original question, why would this make somebody nervous? Mm-hmm. It, it's been my experience that lately in, the, in American culture that we like to divide things completely into two camps, whatever the issue is. We polarize. We polarize. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to hear things that potentially put your church, your brother and sister, your football coach or whatever into a camp that isn't the camp that you align with, it makes you nervous and it makes you potentially think that then that pastor, that church, that brother, that coach or whatever is going to go all the way to the extreme of whatever that... Full in, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Rather than nuancing these issues out and saying things like, I don't think, I think racism is still an issue in America in 2022. And being able to have that statement not mean that I want to defund the police, <laughs> that I wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, that I hate Donald Trump, right. and that I, right? Like, let's be much, can we, let's work hard Can we be a little, bit, a little bit more thoughtful? Can we be a little bit more... Uh, uh, dialogical. Nuanced. Can Conversation. We actually, can we read the book? the paper, the whatever it is, and, and take it mm-hmm. at its face value and say, there are some good things in here. This is, this is important. This isn't taking us to the full extreme that our only objective now is to become woke as a church or whatever that thing is. Like, yeah. Here we go. Let's, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, this is going to mean we're going this direction, and pretty soon Kelly's going to tell everybody from the pulpit they need to vote Democrat. Or whatever it is, right, like right. that's the underlying right. And I, I yeah, like I that's, think that's the rub. I think we concern. like to read things and hear things and 
align ourselves with groups of people and then only read the things that that the internet and the social media and whatever is telling us we should read and we just get into these camps in this rut and we don't actually do the work of of navigating the issue at hand and thinking through how it actually plays out in just this church in Glen Ellen yeah. as a as a body of believers. Yeah. You know, I was wondering in your um in your description of, of Jeremy Boynton's story, mm-hmm. you were like, this is 1994. I, for me, 1994 seems like 10 years ago. I'm, I was wondering, right, like, right. for someone hearing it as a 17-year-old, they're like, yeah. well, that was 30 years ago. Right. Of right. course that was happening. Because, right. you know? like, in 1994, 30 years prior, was the Civil Rights Movement. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. that's a lot of time. Yeah, right. 30, but, 40 but years for is me, a generation. When, when, I, when I read that, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that's happening in 1994. <gasps> But it's like, that's a whole generation. Yeah. Yes. Like, like right. There's been a lot and, of progress and, since then. Let's right. not fool ourselves, guys. There are some generational issues on this topic. For sure. 100%. Oh, yes. My, we, my we've kids. talked more about this. It's pastoral staff. I'd rather not else. talk about that. Well, it's, it's just my kids, my college age or young adult children, they're like, wow, mm-hmm. you have to you have mm-hmm. to outline this? You, and, and they're keenly aware of the history. Um, they just wonder why the church isn't more up to speed. Yeah. Okay, I want to say something that um, might open a can of worms that you can close immediately. But I was so struck at the end of the message yesterday. Is, I think it was during your prayer, and you talked about the sanctity of life. And um, there is a correlation between uh, what I don't. I'm gonna, I don't. I'm going to say it wrong, so I'm nervous about don't be fumbling nervous. over my words here. Please, I'm trying my best. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> There is a correlation between injustice that happens particularly to African-American women mm-hmm. and the amount of um, injustice that they are faced in their life. And there's a correlation between, there's a disproportionate rate of, I think it's five, black women are five times more likely to have an abortion than Correct. white women. Yes. So when you finish the message, I was like, oh my gosh, like it, I wish that there was more time for yep. you to have unpacked that if we are so passionate about the sanctity of life, which we should be, and not seeing the connection between injustice that happens in our culture. Racial and injustice. Racial injustice. We are missing an opportunity to promote and advocate for and fight for things that we're already saying we care about. And, right. and there's, there's just a correlation there that if you're not pursuing this take, conversation a little bit deeper, you might be missing. I'll Agreed. take it to the next That's level. Great, great there's point. a whole scale genocide. Mm. When you say the rate is five times more likely, and we'll give you grace mm-hmm. there, maybe it is, maybe it I'm, isn't. It, the abortion it's, rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. Wow. There was a time in which the abortion rate in New York City proper for black children was higher than the birth rate. That's a genocide. Mm. Mm -hmm. I want to be careful to not cast judgment on black women who are listening to this or know somebody and think, well, why are they having so many abortions? Because it's much more complicated than that. My point is you're exactly right. The intersection between MLK weekend and sanctity of human life Sunday should not be missed. Yeah. Well, you touched on it, but I was like, louder for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. You know, I can't, I couldn't help but to think about your, your generational comment. Like, um, wow. Your kids, your, like Kelly's kids, they grew up seeing a lot of positive black role models. Yeah. Yeah. We grew up, I, I, I don't, I don't know if this is hundred percent true, but I'm, I'm kind of going back to what is the first positive Mm. depiction of a black family? And it was the Cosby show. Right. Which has anything now, anything before that was like, you know, extreme poverty or I guess you had the Jeffersons, they were moving on up, right? Like you had, but, but really there wasn't (laughs) like one is a lawyer, one is a doctor. They are a functioning family. They're a good family. They are a wholesome family. Just listen to a podcast on Sidney Portier. Oh yeah. It's up first or NPR. It was powerful. I guess he just passed away. The work he did as a leading actor in Hollywood. Yeah. Wow. um, and I always enjoyed him, but I didn't realize the barriers that he had overcome. Oh, for to sure. To your point, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's move Question to the next Question number one. two. Let's oh move my. to the next one. Well, I've said everything I wanted to say. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, in your sermon this morning, you made the statement that the Samaritan was saved. 
I don't see that in the text. So I'm wondering if you would address that further. Yeah, this is the, the, this shouldn't take too long. I don't remember saying this. I certainly didn't mean to say it that way, but I don't doubt that I might have said something like this. <laughs> I got a little worked up uh, in sun on Sunday, and I wonder if the listener was actually in first or second service. So I obviously do not know the eternal destiny of the Samaritan. I don't know if he was saved. What I meant to say was that he understood the unlimited nature of the neighborly God we serve. That is, God's being a neighbor to everybody. He so loves the world, and the people that are destined for heaven will image God, the neighborly God whom we serve. So while the priest and the Levite apparently did not understand it, the, the Samaritan did get it. So I meant to say that as for, as for inheriting eternal life, the Samaritan would apparently do so because he showed mercy while the Levite and the priest would apparently not do so. But I, I certainly can't speak to the eternal destiny of the Samaritan or the Levite or the priest. I'm just trying to draw out what Christ drew out. The Samaritan apparently understood that there are no boundaries to the neighborly nature of God's character, and thus his people will have no boundaries to their neighborly nature. Is that helpful? Yep. Did I do better? Okay. Yeah, totally. All right, uh, next question. In order to love our neighbor... Is it incumbent on us to prayerfully discern biblical positions on complex social issues such as police reform, affirmative action, voting legislation, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it a better course to simply refrain from diving too deeply into those issues and just love people in the course of our daily interactions with them? Man, I loved this question. Super appreciative that this was brought up because I constantly feel overwhelmed mm. at the number of social issues that require study and then nuanced um, articulation of a position. It is, it is overwhelming what is expected, particularly of leaders within the church, to have read, studied up on, get ready to address. So, man, I get it that we can, we can, we're constantly counting the cost on how much energy do I have? And I, I'll be honest with you, I have, well, everybody has limited energy. So I don't think we should feel the crushing burden to vet every potential social issue that comes across our path and have a nuanced answer for it. I, what I have found in my life is I try to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to read up on? What do you want me to study? What are my children, the, the people closest to me, what are my children asking for my input on? What is my congregation asking for my input on? How can I be helpful? And, and then... Uh, reading and, and trying to address those issues. But it's, I'm a little nervous about the either or that's situated here. It's not either spend all our time reading and getting ready to address social issues or love people. It's got to be a both and. But man, I get the tension. I, well, I'm confused on uh, your answer. <laughs> this is why we have a podcast to create more confusion I don't think there's anything you need to do to know to understand or to learn to love your neighbor oh I think there are complex issues out there and to love them well what to, is I guess what I would I would ask for what is when God defines what love your neighbor is using the Samaritan example all the social issues that the Samaritan would have known about were put on the side to care for the person that was bleeding in the ditch. Yeah, but that's a, so it's in, a fairly simplistic raw, example. He, right. he rescues the guy. It's like it, stopping for someone that's had a car trouble. If my neighbor but, doesn't mm, feel loved, I've done something wrong, no matter how much of research I've done. My now, I don't know if I buy that because uh, really being a neighbor is a, is a very complex ongoing issue. It's not a once and done issue. So, and being neighbor, actually, a neighbor actually means living out the truth. It, it means caring, but it actually means, you know, that speaking the truth. So, yeah. And if my neighbor doesn't feel loved by me, that may not be my fault. It may be my fault. Agreed. I'm saying when it's your fault. I'm not saying when it's the neighbor's perception. Right. I'm saying when it's your fault. Yeah. If, you're, if you have not loved your neighbor well, that's your fault. You are out of step. No matter what you know or understand. Yeah, that's fair. But loving the, our neighbor will include... At some degree, at some point, at some level. Addressing depend, issues. Depending on how deep you go in right. those relationships. That's, they're, they're, you should not not interact with your neighbor because they have a pride flag on their porch. That's what people are doing. Oh, that's what you're trying to address. Uh, that's what this question is. 
The question is, should I have understanding about police reform, affirmative action, voting rights, da-da-da, before I engage with my neighbor who may think differently on these issues that I do? And I would say absolutely not. I would agree with you. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't wait till you're an expert on any mm-hmm. topic. Or, or my, my neighbor has mm-hmm. a defund the police placard in Blue their, lives yard, matter in their yard. Yeah. Should I, or a Trump Man, I'd go over and say, tell me about your pride flag. Exa- mm-hmm. That's my, my point is, I don't think the social issues should get in the way of our neighbors feeling, feeling loved. 100%. Right? I mean. Yeah. I think people can get caught up in the weeds of, oh, I know that person thinks differently than me on an issue, so I'm just not even going to be their neighbor. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk with them. I'm not going to be cordial with them. I'm not going to be nice right. to them because it might open up this whole bag of worms. And then, then, then mm-hmm. and I'm know, not an expert. And I'm not an expert and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I think clearly... You know, if there is an issue that your neighbor has, it's one of these issues. You know, they're very passionate about police reform. Man, read up on police reform. Mm-hmm. Learn the goods and the bads and what's going on in the national conversation so that you can better care for, love, and engage with your neighbor mm-hmm. for sure. But even if you don't know it, your neighbor should still know that you are there, you love them, you, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. regardless, yeah. you know, that you're available or, or whatever that is. So that'd be my yeah. two cents. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Our only announcement this week is the Next Level discussion that will take place on Sunday afternoon, January 23rd at 4 o'clock. We'd invite everybody out. This is going to be a elder and staff-led discussion. We'll take questions. We'll offer perspectives. We're really looking for a dialogue here. We want to be gracious and patient with each other and, and caring with one another as we wrestle together with issues of race, equality, justice, and unity. Hope you'll come out. If you need child care, there is child care available. You can register by contacting our children's ministry department. Hope everybody will join us. All right, let's go to the next question. I felt like Kelly was trying to convince us that racism is wrong. Doesn't everybody know that already? Shouldn't we have covered that? (laughs) Sorry. Shouldn't we have covered what we are to do about racism? Would that be time better spent? We're going to get there. This is coming from the younger generation. <laughs> like, right. like, don't waste my time. You're like, dude, racism's wrong. We already know this next. already. Can we get on to the next thing? <laughs> All right. So I agree that few people will say racism's okay or good. But many people, which is the many white people, the clear majority in our church, don't understand the urgency of the issue for people of color. Mm-hmm. Preaching with passion against racism conveys the urgency that many people of color feel on the topic and helps raise awareness for our majority church. We're a white majority church. And so I am uh, preaching, was Sunday, uh, to the choir, so to speak, to, to the people that need to hear that this is an urgent issue. It's upper right quadrant for our, our, our neighbors of color. Uh, you know, for me, I live on the north side of Wheaton. So, uh, you know, 15% of the high school that my kids go to uh, is African-American. But a larger number than that, and I'm going to ballpark this, maybe 25% are minority children. The elementary that my children went to, Hawthorne Elementary, they're on the north side. 50% of the incoming class, kindergartners, speak English as a second language. Five zero. And so we're increasingly um, seeing an opportunity here to champion and care for people of color uh, as we uh, approach with passion this issue. So, and I should say, they felt like I didn't, and the listener apparently feels like I didn't hit any concrete things we're to be doing. But let me just point out real quick, I, I, I did identify some things that we're going to do differently as a congregation. For example, we're going to have a position paper on this. Uh, prior to this, we didn't have a position paper. So now the elders have written one. That's an active step. It's a stake in the ground. Uh, we're going to preach with passion, and, and that'll be an ongoing expectation of, the, of our congregation on this topic. We're going to lament 
I mentioned, historic acts of active and passive racism. We're going to cry with those who are crying, and we're going to cry over historic sins that have been committed by the church. I mentioned the Southern Baptist denomination not publicly repenting of the racism that was at the founding of their denomination. They didn't publicly repent until 1995. We're also going to discuss together, when we talk about let's do something, guys, it starts with a proclamation, a declaration that hasn't been previously made with any great clarity, uh, the establishing of our position, the call to lament, and then the invitation to discussion. I mean, I'll be heartbroken if some people check out of Glow Bible Church before they even try a discussion. But that is an active thing to do. I should mention uh, that two separate listeners also asked questions about whether GEBC had failed in the past in some way. Is that what is promo- uh, prompting this emphasis? One listener felt that the emphasis on studies seemed to imply as much that we had failed in times past. Another listener wondered if GEBC's particip- participation in the 1960 civil rights movement was um, lacking. I mean, this listener said, basically, who was going on Bible church in the 1960s? How did we handle that era? Uh, So, and remember, I've been at Glowing Bible Church for 27 years, so I have a fair bit of history here. I've done some digging and can't come up with any of our historic postures or practices that were overt failures. Like, I'm unaware. I've asked around to some of our long-term attenders, and they didn't have anything to add or, or offer on historic racist postures or practices. Um, So I've not been able to find that we failed. I simply really don't know uh, how or if we participated in a positive manner in the 60s uh, civil rights era. I do know that in the 1990s, Glowen Bible Church had a very strong partnership with Lawndale Community Church, which is an African-American church, a thriving African-American church in the Lawndale neighborhood of Chicago. their men's ministry would come and visit with our men's ministry. We'd go to Promise Keepers together. We filled, I remember getting on four uh, Greyhound buses, black men and white men together to go to Promise Keepers. It was a powerful experience. So um, I don't know a lot of detail about our longstanding history on this. We do have some positive. I'll also bring up, I think we're doing some things really well. The Care Center is a Mm -hmm. great cross-cultural, multi-ethnic, Samaritan-type experience. I think we're doing well. The Burmese Church, uh, Karen Church, that meets in our building. Um, John Foster champions our partnership with them, and we've done some really positive things. So um, I think we are doing some things. Don't undermine the value of discussion, lament, the declarative power of a position. These are new things for Glowing Bible Church, and they will have a long-standing impact positively on our community. Well, well done, Kelly. <laughs> are you confused, John? <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> totally, totally on board. I do. Th- I mean, people often have asked, where do people feel, have asked me, where, where are people experiencing racism at Glen Ellen Bible Church? And there have been a, a handful of incidents that I know of or, or can relate to, and they're not necessarily, uh, not, not that I can relate to, that, that I have experienced, um, conversations, things like that. Um, and I've shared those before. I think the vast majority of our time and experience has probably been opportunities that we may have missed to to do a position paper, to to put a flag in the ground or sort of to a stake in the lament. ground to invite lament. Like yeah. we and, and I know that's that's that doesn't always satisfy people of why we why we're doing this now. Mm-hmm. Like oh we didn't do a great job in the past, so we want to do a better job going. But there is definitely I would say some of that. Uh, right, like there, you brought it up. Yes. There was a major yes. cultural moment, one that many people. And I felt uh, personally oh, and uh, congregation, we were unprepared for. In culture, mm-hmm. I mean, the entire country felt mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Whether whatever you believed or didn't believe, you cannot say it was a moment. There wasn't a moment to. S- You're talking about George Floyd. George Floyd, well, yeah. 2020, okay. the marches of 2020. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we could, you know, right. we could go on and on and on. There's, there's over in in a short period of time, mm-hmm. there were a significant number of events. Again, whether you believe whatever you want to believe on those things, you can't say that they didn't happen. You didn't think about it, and they weren't in the newspaper, mm-hmm. right? So. There's a little bit of this is a cultural moment that we're not going to necessarily allow Pat to pass us by, mm-hmm. and not that we just are are blown around by the wind of cultural moments. Yeah, you can hardly say that about the elders of Glow and Bible Church. I mean, it's it's been right. sixteen to eighteen months. <laughs> right, right. Um, and it's not a knee jerk reaction on their part. Right, right. So, and and I do think. Kelly, you and I can speak to this directly. You and I have had conversations with multiple people in our church, and there is a need mm-hmm. at this moment yes. to, to take the time to help educate our church, to help further this conversation, to put to your, to your words, put some stakes in the ground, uh, that this is uh, uh, the right time, God-ordained, mm-hmm. um, and, and we've gone slow in the process. We've learned. We've educated ourselves. And, and, uh, and now is, is the time to, to, to preach this sermon series, to release the paper, and to, to have this, this sort of conversation as a church. I think you need to keep that in front of people because there are people who are not as far along on the journey of this than you all are because you've just Agreed. said it's been 16 to 18 months where somebody maybe saw some of those book titles for the first time yesterday. And That's so they're really hearing, fair. They're yes. hearing this passion. They're intrigued by it, but they might not be as far along. And so it's almost like they're watching you process it out, Kelly, yes. as you're yeah. preaching. And um, That's, which that's is, a great word. Which is, which is why there is a three-part series, why there will be the discussion tomorrow night or next week on Sunday, why we put the resource you know, page together. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, we don't do that for all of our sermon right. series, right? right. And, and <laughs> I wish I had 18 months to prepare for every sermon <laughs> series. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I, have, I have one more takeaway, I think, from this question that I'd be curious your response to. Um, at the very end of your message in the 1030 service, you said, we need to be more like the Samaritan. Mm. And I, I think I leaned over to Anthony and said, I, th- I, don't, I don't think he got that right. And <laughs> I maybe shouldn't be admitting this publicly. Um, because I think for me, what I, li- what I was listening and processing, I'm just so grateful, obviously, that you based the message yesterday on scripture, right? Mm. So we have this foundation of this is in God's word. Um, my takeaway was, I'm not the Samaritan. I'm never going to be the Samaritan. Mm. I'm not a minority. Oh, I guess I technically because I'm a woman, a minority. But in this case that you're, we're making here, I'm not a minority. I have privilege, um, and I'm you know aware of these things. Um, I'm the Levite or the priest in this story. And so when you said be more like the Samaritan, I thought, well, I, I'm not going to be the Samaritan. I'm never mm. going to be in that situation where I am a minority. Or I didn't say never, but it's not my life. Right. I would like to reform the mm. priest and the Levite. Mm-hmm. I would like their hearts to be broken over mm-hmm. the person who's bleeding in the ditch and mm-hmm. have the Samaritan as an example of someone to look toward, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be a mm-hmm. Samaritan in my yeah. lifetime. Does that make sense? Yes. That, that was my takeaway as I walked out. It was like, no, I don't think the goal is for this whole white church to mm-hmm. turn into yeah. a Samaritan. Yep. I think a goal that I would a see. compassionate, kind, mm-hmm. majority culture. Mm-hmm. We do something with yeah. the power and the privilege yes. and the whiteness that we have. I just made people mad when I well, just said those words. Uh, but just let me know, di- I didn't bring up the word privilege. The, di- <laughs> the difference, so I, I, I hear 100% what you're yes, saying. Yes, yes, correct me because I'm no, sure. No, I don't want to correct you at all. There's nothing to correct. It's, I mean, we, dis- we discuss, discuss these things. Jesus tells parables differently than how we always want them mm. to work <laughs> So I I preached on this passage. I don't know if you remember as part of the Luke series, which yes, I didn't. So I asked Grant. You were in Africa, yeah, gallivanting around. So I I said preached on this. Very memorable, apparently. You know, and our takeaway was was uh, largely the same. I'm glad we exegeted the passage the same (laughs) about the boundary, the boundary being expanded. That that's what the 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 man asking the question, the lawyer wanted to. 
uh, present himself as worthy mm-hmm. of having done exactly what Jesus was about to say he'd done. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to make the boundary that he cared for the orphan, the widow, mm-hmm. and the alien within Straight his midst mm-hmm. so that he could say, I followed the law. Look, I'm looking to, what was the word? Justify myself. Yes. So he wanted to justify himself the because he wanted Jesus to tell him that the neighborhood mm-hmm. was the right neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But Jesus mm-hmm. says the neighborhood is much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the boundaries that you want to have. Yeah. But Jesus uses it in a weird way as that the minority culture is helping the majority culture. Mm. So when we say be the Samaritan, mm-hmm. we can fl- there's a flipping of it th- that needs to take place where we are the majority mm-hmm. helping the minority. Does that make sense? Okay, yes. So you can yeah. still be the Samaritan and not be the minority culture, if that makes sense. To, I think, to, to I think say, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying be, we could, there's things right, because the, to, to model from... Because this. the dangerous takeaway is to say, I need to be a more compassionate Levite helping my own. Mm-hmm. No, the no, no. Levite, I'm not helping my own. Helping that, the person in the ditch. What, but right. The person in the ditch was, was a Jew. Most likely. It doesn't say it. Mm, I Most see. likely, I see. a Jew passed over a Jew. The power of the gotcha. story is I that gotcha. a Samaritan helped Help the a Jew. Jew. Right. Gotcha. So if gotcha. you say, I just need mm-hmm. to be a, I need to be a more compassionate mm-hmm. Levite, I agree, mm-hmm. but... No, I see your point. That you makes sense. You could take that to say, I don't need to help anybody. I don't actually need to expand my yeah. neighborhood. I was a Levite that didn't obey the law. I'm just thinking of like the African-American teenager who maybe listened to this sermon or hears someone say, be more like the Samaritan. And he's like, or she's like, um, I don't need, like, this is my nature. I am overflowing with compassion for people who are different than me. So yeah, you can be like, you, you're not going to become me, but you can follow my example. I don't, maybe I'm not seeing it too much, but no, do you see what I'm saying? Like, totally. it's almost like, Telling someone to be more like someone who's compassionate, they're like, "This is who I am." I- the key, well, the key of being a Samaritan is is that you aren't helping just those who yeah. consistent yeah. who who would normally be defined as your own. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'll be honest, I, the place I thought you were going was the Samaritan is the hero of the story, but the person who's really demonstrating the character of God is Jesus. Mm-hmm. He came to rescue. So it. Yeah, so I, you know, rhetorically I said we need to be more like the Samaritan, but ultimately we want to be like Christ in in our character uh, and the mercy he's shown towards us. All right, let's go to the next one. How do we hate sin and avoid looking hateful? I've often felt that when Christians take a stand against a particular sin, sinful action like racism, abortion, homosexual behaviors, that we end up looking as though we hate the people committing those sinful actions. Yeah, you know, the, the short of it is, I think that Christians can't simply be known for what they stand against. And, and Lord have mercy on us. Um, would that Glowing Bible Church is increasingly known for the loving posture that we have? We're not simply to stand against certain sinful behaviors. That... It's really a painful reality that Christians are so often known for what they stand against. Would that Christians were increasingly known for who they stand up for, stand beside, care for, a lot of Samaritan. Uh, so, you know, Jesus came and stood with and for and took the place of sinners. Let him be our role model. Mm-hmm. So I get it. There are behaviors that are right and there are behaviors that are wrong. And by that I mean there are behaviors that uh, reflect their character of God and behaviors that do not reflect the character of God. There are things right and wrong. And so th- those are unavoidable that, that those discussions will be had. But would that Christians weren't simply known for what we stand against? So I think that's... Now, this is the this is the battle, though, of the Christian life. I mean, this is the tension. Mm-hmm. This is the ongoing day-to-day tension of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. How do we hate sin, love sinners? Mm-hmm. How do we hate the sin in our lives mm-hmm. and continue to love ourselves in the... And know in, God's in, love for us. Go, mm-hmm. Know God's love yeah. for us in Christ. It's a great mystery. I mean, it's, it is. Man, it's a great mystery. And I get it that often there are people in our world that feel like we do not love them because of the acts that they commit. And I mean, sometimes that, you can't do anything about that. Right. I mean, it's, it is so difficult, which is 
we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, which is why it gets really difficult when you have a national Christian platform. Mm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. let's be neighbors in neighborhoods and churches in communities. Yeah. Because as soon as we elevate one voice to yeah. a whole <laughs> country yeah. or whatever. I have an, I'm drawing to mind uh, Jerry Falwell's moral majority movement in the 1970s. It didn't go well. Yeah, stuff like that is difficult. Or, you know, um, there are modern voices that speak out against, you know, all different you know, types of things. I actually had a very interesting conversation not too long ago with somebody that said, man, you know, Christians are all, they're all anti-gay and like anti-abortion and murder, but I've never heard one Christian talk about gluttony. You know how many <laughs> fat Christians there are? <laughs> Look how many fat pastors there are. This is out of control. It's gluttony. It's the set, you know, went on. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I mean, it's true. Like, it, so one, many jokes. So many times. Time. To one degree. God bless this food. Big it, fat it, hamburger, <laughs> greasy with egg and oh, bacon. Totally, <laughs> man. You know, I yeah. saw um, uh, not pretty recently, like in the last week so on Twitter, somebody uh, had posted like, hey, who are the, um, and you know, it wasn't just some schmo. It was somewhat Christian leader. You know, who are the upcoming so top schmo. 30? I'm just kidding. What? So it was a schmo. <laughs> yeah, someone with some credentials, whatever, was like, "Hey, you know, who who do we think are the top thirty up and coming Christian, Christian leaders?" leaders. And, and, and like, there was a black that post. There was a black <laughs> pastor that responded and was like, "This is a toxic idea. Oh, this is such a Preach toxic it. idea. Preach Amen. it. Like, oh, those there's magazines. There's a magazine that we all get in our church. They mail to every church that lists the top." 50 most influential churches in America, the top 50 most influential blogs in America, the top 50 most influential pastors. There's a magazine that comes to the church that lists the best sermon in 2021. It wasn't mine. (laughs) Any of mine. And, you know, I mean, uh, we're getting on a a tangent Mm -hmm. here, but it's really easy for people to go, oh, you're a Christian, you're against this. Because at times, some of the national platform kind of movement stuff that has has colored this local church us being a christian in the neighborhood and without relationship actually happening mm-hmm. right sometimes i wish we had a giant do over button right <laughs> like can we just do this over again so that you know but man we need to hate sin right we need to hate it. Yeah. We need to run from it. We need to convince other people that it's yeah. bad for them. And we need to do it in a posture that says, I absolutely love you and I'm willing to do anything to help you find Jesus. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're going through and who you are, yeah. I love you. And, and that is really, really difficult. It's difficult on an individual level. It's difficult in a community church level. It's difficult on a national platform level. Yeah. That's, that would be my summary. Yeah. Sin, when it's full grown, leads to death. Oh, right? totally. Like, and we need to hate it. The hate in our heart needs to be to- towards sin. All right, let's go to the next one. Can you distinguish between the slavery apparently tolerated in the Bible and the modern day sl- slavery? Good question. So it's important to understand the Bible clearly condemns kidnapping. It condemns stealing of people. The verses are Exodus twenty one sixteen and First Timothy one ten. Um, kidnapping and stealing of people condemned in the Bible was the backbone of the modern slave trade. God's people were expressly prohibited from participating in what is described as slave trafficking. For this reason, slavery among God's people, Israel is what I'm talking about, was most often the result of three things. Prisoners taken in war, financial indebtedness, and criminal convictions. All three of which still have modern parallels. So regarding prisoners of war, while God used Israel to judge the wickedness of other nations through military defeat, and in some instances directed them to take their enemies as slaves, this preserved, actually, other nations by preventing genocide. In fact, Israel was preserved as a nation in this very manner, as God allowed Israel to be taken captive by foreign nations as a consequence of their wickedness. Read Nehemiah 9, uh, verse 36. Of course, the modern nations continue to take political prisoners. In the United States, I still think has prisoners at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. 
So the most common form of slavery in the ancient world, though, was actually called financial indebtedness. A bad crop meant your family couldn't eat, and so dad might go sell himself into bond slavery so his family could eat. Ancient peoples would sell themselves into slavery in this way to provide lodging or whatever they needed. In modern times, many are still enslaved by financial institutions through credit card debt. I have a friend who's a Discover Card executive. He tells me that in our area, our area, the average credit card debt is $17,000 per person. I think his actual statistic was from Naperville. Naperville's average credit card debt. Oh. Seven. <laughs> You're feeling good about yourself, oh. aren't you? So now here's following. <laughs> I don't even here. think I have a limit that can go to that. High. <laughs> well, they'll give you more if you just yeah. ask. This is brilliant. Zero don't cut me off here. Debt. This is going to be good stuff. <laughs> Unlike our modern laws, Israel canceled all debt mm. and released all slaves every seven years, the year of Jubilee. Uh, in fact, a freed debt slave was given gifts. Mm by those who had previously, he had previously owed money to. Can you imagine if Visa canceled debt, all debt every seven years, and then gave their former debtors gifts as they departed? Isn't the law of God beautiful in this mm -hmm. respect? Finally, criminals mm -hmm. could also become slaves as a result of their conviction. Of course, we still have this today as millions of people live incarcerated, in jail, making license plate, and getting paid pittance for it. So therein lies the difference, kidnapping and, and, and human trafficking, stealing people, which was the backbone of American slavery, is flatly condemned in, in God's word. And, and if you, if you t Matt brought this up earlier, the, the verses that are about slavery mm -hmm. and those sorts of things, like one of the biggest questions, so the book of Philemon was written to Philemon, the slave owner of Onesimus. Onesimus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why didn't he just tell him get, to release him? And he does as much. And the innuendo is, you owe me your life, Philemon, your eternity. Exactly. Treat me as you treat this guy. We talked about it this summer because he comes up in Colossians because this is all in Colossae. The things that God says about slavery, particularly in the New Testament, are about caring for your slaves well because God's God God working within the the established cultural systems of those day was of the day was even reforming those institutions institutions yeah. by saying things like treat your slaves well care for them because you know God's your them. master exactly yeah. um, imagine how long the Bible would have to be if it was a book aimed at writing uh, describing a utopian society I mean that's just not what the Bible's about right. Yeah, it's working within some certain systems and structures right. and reforming. Uh, and calling people to Christ's likeness in their social situation. Right, where but, it says things like slave, honor your master, as you know, those start types of words, when we hear them, we go, what? Yeah. No, you should run. You, you should shoot your master and so flee. We could, and we, we need to understand the cultural system the in context. which that person is a slave and the word that being used for them as a slave and what it means then to honor your master. Because typically, in those situations, a, a person, to use your example, might sell themselves to a person that they are indebted to and then escape, which is what Onesimus did when he ran to Rome. And Paul is saying, don't. You owed that person money and the system in which we, we live in allows you to sell yourself to that person to, to work off. off your indebtedness. You shouldn't have run, run to, to Rome, Onesimus. I'm sending you back now. I'm sending you back into slavery to live as a slave the way that you committed to because you did something that was wrong. You ran from Philemon and you need to be at the, the you need to be good on your word. Now Philemon, you need to treat him with love and respect. Care for him as though he is in your family. Mm -hmm. Don't treat him like other slave owners do in in Colossae or 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 Rome or or wherever. It's a good word. So the modern application is Visa card, Discover card holders, pay your debt. Mm. And uh, if you're convicted of a crime and you're, you find yourself in jail, live like Christ in jail. Do your time. Uh, live as a light in, in that world. Right. And if you're a jailer, yeah, treat, treat them kindly. Treat them kindly. Good Love word. them as though they were in your family. And All if, those. And if you're a credit card holder, 
You know, if you're a credit card company, set me free and give <laughs> me gifts. Give me gifts. Credit card company is a, is a tricky one. Yeah. If you are a day in, day out worker at a, in that type of institution, yeah, that's, that's difficult work. What's the juice on 17000 Oh, my gosh. Debt? I have no Ooh. idea. All right, let's go to the next one. If we live a life that doesn't show love or compassion towards all people, both in ideology and application, does that indicate that we will not inherit eternal life? Boom. If we do not love others, then it erodes our assurance of salvation. Remember, they will know we're Christians by our love. That's right out of the New Testament. Love is an indication that God is saving us, that we are being transformed into the image of God. So while sin is present in the life of all believers, in other words, it's, it's um, God is saving sinners, <laughs> yet we can be confident that God is greater than our sin. So if we find that we're unloving, we need to repent and, and, and plead that God would change our hearts and minds and actions. Uh, if we knowingly cling to unloving, take take the topic du jour, if we knowingly cling to prejudice, racism, hatred, pride, then it undermines our confidence that heaven is our home. We lack, we should appropriately lack assurance. That's why I don't believe Jesus was teaching a simple moralism here. I don't think he was, agree. he was teaching, hey, you need to love your neighbor, you ain't getting into heaven. Because that is a merit-based mm -hmm. means of salvation which doesn't fit with the rest of scripture. We're saved by grace, God's grace, apart from anything we do. We all have sin in our lives. We all have unloving attitudes and actions in our lives. And as those come to light, we need to throw ourselves on the mercy of God and thank God for the righteousness that, that's in Christ. The person of Christ paid our debt. But we also need to put those behaviors behind us with the power of the Holy Spirit and go on to being loving. So I don't think it's as simple as, gosh, if I'm not loving, am I going to hell? Well, I know that I have unloving actions and attitudes in my life. Mm -hmm. But I, have, I still have high assurance of salvation because I'm trusting in Christ. I'm not trusting myself. And I'm not clinging to those. As the Holy Spirit brings up and shows me, shines a light on my sinful behaviors, by God's mercy, I'm repenting and forsaking those behaviors. Mm -hmm. It's called faith. Yes. Yeah, it's the, the tricky part, of it, right, is because the, the lawyer, the legal expert, in, is asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Christ's answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And mm -hmm. love your neighbor, That's not true. if you choose to. So where is the crossing the line of faith? Where are you inherit? Where does inheritance happen in that question? I'll tell you. <laughs> I, wish, I wish that the Lord had said, oh, my but, God. I don't love God with all my heart. There's no possible way. So the takeaway of the Samaritan lesson, in part, is, there are multiple layers to this parable. Yes. The, there, is a, there is a takeaway of the lawyer, because that's ultimately who we probably are. Mm -hmm. We should yeah. fall down on our knees. We're trying to Christ answers the question that we asked the way he did. We should fall down on our knees and say, we fall short. Yes. We mm -hmm. cannot, I cannot do what you're asking me, Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. I cannot love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Jesus, come into my life mm -hmm. and help me do it because I can't do it myself. That, that's Boom. a huge takeaway of the Samaritan. And that is, is, the, is the, the gospel. Is That's the at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. if your yeah, if your heart is not transformed by God, mm. and and that transformation will will show itself in the love that we have for others. Mm -hmm. So that there is a question in there. If if my if I'm not loving, is my heart transformed? We should be falling on our knees and saying, "Christ, have mercy on me. Have mercy sinner. on me. Transform more of me. Yeah. Soften more of my heart." Make me more like you. That's good. Good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Final question. What does it mean to be good to our neighbors when their behaviors are not good? How do you find a balance with this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Rewind and replay the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. You know, there are neighbors that... that can we talked about this pretty much to yeah, your point, Simone, but can I... Can I tee this one up real quick? Yeah. Just because I'm your neighbor? You're about to tell the people how you put up with me? <laughs> no. Um, 
I, I think there's a difference if your neighbor is a believer or not a believer. I think that's going to, at least it did in my life, that's going to guide where you go. If they're not a believer, man, I'm walking to the edge of the cliff with them. You mm, know, that's a good word, if they man. jump, mm-hmm. I, I might try to do something. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I had a, uh, a back and forth with a family member maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And they were like, look, you just can't, you know, if I have a, you know, gay friend or whatever, like, and they don't, they don't end up accepting Christ and not be gay anymore. You just can't continue to be their friend. And I'm like, no, no, dude, you continue to be their friend until the end. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if the person is a professing believer and they are saying, I'm going into this sin and I'm going to commit it, but I still love Jesus. I, I don't walk there with them. Yeah. I, I plead and I did mm-hmm. to not do that. But and, and say the door is always open, but I'm cutting you off now. Mm-hmm. That's has been my life experience. Yeah, that's a really I don't good know how word. you guys feel about that, but well, I often feel mm-hmm. I convi- I'm convicted often because I, f- I want to put the expectations that Christ has on my life <laughs> on everybody else's life that doesn't know him yet. Mm. You know, like unbelieving it's family hard. members mm-hmm. that live differently mm-hmm. than I do, raise their kids differently than I do, make choices differently than I do, and I'm like. I want to put on them, I, I want to put on the expectation that they live like, like they know Jesus. And I, tr- and I, I can get caught up in treating them <laughs> that way rather than treating them like they don't even know, they don't even know Jesus. They don't know what it means right. to follow him. They don't know what it means to live for him or anything. You know, it's a really good, it's a really good. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. if that's right or wrong with a believer. Uh, uh, I'm sure it matters on who the believer you know. is and your connection and what they're getting involved in. Yeah, I, I think there. I would want to work really hard to talk about when you say you'd go to the cliff with a non-believer, you'd bear with them in their their sinfulness. Uh, but with a believer, you'd you'd not. You were kind of implying you'd 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 not bear with them, and I I think the devil's in the details. Oh, totally. Yeah, and yeah, so I the situation may just it does. Yeah, um, for this particular did. situation, I could not yeah. walk with him. Yeah, like it was like, dude, you cannot do that. You really cannot do that. Yeah, and but even then, um, you know, we can agree to <clears throat> even then. The nature of fellowship requires some def- definition. Yeah. Like, um, there, are, there are a lot of people that, you know, I can disagree over lifestyle issues and still take communion with. Yeah. Um, and you know what? To, to this day, praise God, he has repented. Oh, praise And we were friends. And, yeah. you know, like, it, it came yeah. back around. And Your discipline or the discipline of the Lord in his life or th- and or through you had a good effect. And, I, and that's why I don't want to be quick to write off Christians right. uh, when we disagree on what is sin and what is right. not. That's why I was like, yeah, the door is open. I'm always here for you, but yeah. I cannot move I forward with you. And what does move forward? I, See, I'd want to ask that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and therein lies, if, right. if you mean I can't pretend your behavior is okay, oh, yeah, I'm with right. you there. I wouldn't. So. Yeah. All right, well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We, le- we love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you, listeners. Keep the questions coming. It's a privilege to wrestle together with these topics on the next level. prophecy.